Are you struggling to know what to believe about climate change? Are you worried about rising temperatures but not sure what to do about it? Do you avoid talking about climate with your friends because you're not sure what response you're going to get? Well, then you're in the right place. I'm Joe Bolt. And I'm Carl Schmidt. And this is Decarbonated. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, In this episode, we chat with Michelle Lee, the founder of Clever Carbon. We're going to be talking about carbon footprints, what they mean, how you can think about yours, and how to make sense of some of the climate jargon that gets thrown around. Uh, But first, I know Joe is really curious about today's news segment because I didn't tell her what it was. Well, no, you specifically, you didn't just not tell me what it was. You told me you weren't going to tell me what it was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it would ruin it. I mean, you just, you know, it would ruin the whole surprise and the whole, because I I need to ask you a question. The question is, uh, we're moving to uh, uh, a economy where we have more green energy, right? We're Mm -hmm. trying to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. And so uh, all around the world, there's different uh, countries and provinces and states, and they're at, they're at different stages of the mm-hmm. transition, right? And there's political influences, all kinds of things going on. Hard to kind of get a picture of, of what's where. But I just want you to think about the United States for a minute and what mm-hmm. you know about the United States. And mm-hmm. uh, if you had to guess which U.S. state had the most installed solar capacity on their grid as of this year as of like a month ago like where would your mind go what would you think if you're like oh yeah okay all right i know because there's some states that are ahead on the game they're you know some are behind so like do you have a like if you had to take a wild stab in the dark like what would you what would you think I'm laughing because <laughs> I think I know the answer to this. Oh, do you? I, and I think <laughs> I know totally because not what you wanted. Because well, it's okay because I know who you follow on mm-hmm. social media, and you probably mm-hmm. saw the headline, right? So it's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because what's think the answer, Joe? You keener? Texas. <laughs> yes, it is yeah. Texas. So, yeah. So yes, I think if, had I not followed the same people that you follow, <laughs> California would probably have been one of yeah. like where my mind would yeah. go um, yeah. first. So, yeah. but yes, I did see the headline okay. from our. Favorite yeah. climate scientist, yeah. Catherine Hayhoe, <laughs> yes. about Texas. <laughs> yes, but it was cool, right? Did you read the story? I did not. Yeah. Okay. So they have Texas has uh, eighteen thousand megawatts now, uh, which is enough for, to put that in context. That's uh, that can power about three point seven million homes. Uh, they say during their peak demand periods, and you can imagine in Texas if you've ever I've never been there, but uh, my brother's been there gets really hot during the summer mm-hmm. they they all run their air conditioning uh their peak demand is is really really high so uh it's amazing that they can they can power that many homes um on on the solar capacity that they have in california on their grid only had about seventeen thousand megawatts versus the eighteen thousand that texas now has now th- there were some caveats there uh california in total solar because they have a bunch of rooftop residential solar a bunch of homeowners uh mm-hmm. in california have solar and so i think with that if you count it then it's like it's a big number it's like over forty thousand for california so oh, that's cool. um yeah 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 but it's the but it's the grid capacity and uh, i thought wow given all of the headlines we've seen recently out of texas that are things like um there, there's a, a lot of uh, regulations that are making it difficult mm. for um, green energy to to make headway and everything. 
and you know, I was reading that and going, oh man, that's, that's, you know, that's terrible. They're so far behind. But then you actually just look at the numbers, which mm -hmm. we're going to talk about in today's episode a little bit, uh, just how important it is to look at just the numbers, their information. Uh, and uh, Texas is actually doing really well. I was, I was amazed. I'm like, wow, if the, if the Lone Star State, known for being kind of the, the home of fossil fuels, yeah. is, is, is uh, got this level of solar, uh, then, wow, I, I take that as pretty good news. I think they've got quite a lot of wind Yes, um, they do too. As well, yeah. don't they? Well, not as in, I mean, that sounds like <laughs> I know what you mean. wind power. Wind, <laughs> wind power is what I mean. Turns yes. out they go together really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Texas doing well on all renewable energy fronts, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really good. And so then that ties into uh, today's episode a little bit. Uh, Michelle is going to talk about how uh, some of your carbon footprint is within your control. And some of it comes down to where you live and how you get your energy. With that, I think we're going to turn it over to our conversation with Michelle. We are so pleased to welcome Michelle Lee. Michelle is the founder of Clever Carbon. And like Joe and myself, Michelle has a background in tech. She's worked for some big name companies like Salesforce and DocuSign. Michelle speaks on climate change a lot. She's spoken at COP27, the 2022 UN Climate Change Conference. She's spoken at TEDx, South by Southwest. Uh, for Bloomberg, she's a UN content contributor. She also founded Women and Climate, which is a nonprofit community for women who want to talk about climate, which is, I believe, how the two of you met. Sure is. Uh, yeah, we're so excited for the conversation we're going to have. Michelle, welcome to decarbonated. Thank you so much, Carl. Really glad to be here. We're so glad to have you. Um, and yes, we do know each other because I joined the Women in Climate Slack community, which has been a great source of meeting other women who are interested in or working in the climate space. So that's really awesome. We wanted to start off, Michelle, kind of getting into a bit of the background. Like Carl talked about the fact that you come from tech like we do. do. So how did you get started working in climate and why did you found Clever Carbon? I, I think actually working in tech, especially for the companies that I worked for with Salesforce and DocuSign, there was always this company culture of giving back, you know, at Salesforce. You get seven days or when I worked there, you get seven days off to volunteer and wow. it's part of your performance plan. So, you know, as a, a team, as a group, you you set these goals and so it has always been uh, ingrained in me, but it's always been a part that I've really enjoyed, you know, being able to get out of the office, do community work and spend time with your colleagues. It's mm. such a great idea, such a win-win. So I think that piece of impact and social impact has always been a part of my career journey. And I was actually volunteering when I lived in London. I was working for DocuSign at the time and I was volunteering for a local plastic-free nonprofit and was kind of learning sort of the ropes of how to communicate these environmental topics. And I really saw this need for sort of a branding that was a little bit more hip and fun, right? I, I saw a lot of sort of nonprofits and their Instagram accounts and they've got great content, great information, but, you know, I think it could use a little spice when it comes to the marketing and obviously coming from those backgrounds in tech with those companies that I work for, you know, marketing is a huge piece and that's been ingrained in me as well. And I also kind of felt that there was just this lack 
of understanding of our impact, right? Mm. Our brains understand numbers. Mm -hmm. So when I say 6.2 on the Richter scale, 2.1 in the Richter scale, don't know what the Richter scale is. No. <laughs> but understand numbers, right? Yep. When it's yep. when you call your friends that live there, when it's yep. 2.1, you text them, right? Yeah. Right. Like our brains understand numbers and no one knows what a calorie is. But if I told you for lunch, I had 5,000 calories, you'd be like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be on the floor right now. So I felt that that was lacking when it comes to our impact on the planet, when it comes to things like single-use waste or our dietary decisions or the way we commute. And because there's that lack, it's just easy to sweep under the carpet. Mm. So during COVID, I saw a lot of single-use waste and it bugged me to the point where I felt like, okay, I need to do something about this, but I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to make it really hip and fun and I'm going to teach people a skill that they can use. And I didn't even know about carbon footprint then. As I was doing research, that's how I learned about it. Mm-hmm. And I saw a carbon label and everything just made sense to me after I saw the carbon label because a lot of the websites at the time, you know, this was like three, four years ago, mm-hmm. it was like made in the 90s. Um, it like had no uh, CSS to the website. It was like all HTML and you're like... Right. I saw this and I was like, no wonder no one knows anything about carbon footprint. So I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to transform the way that people learn about it. And that's how I got to start my first climate project, which is Clever Carbon. And it's actually doing it kind of as a side project. It was Mm -hmm. like a for fun thing. So I was working during the day, getting on client calls, doing demos, seeing customers. And then the evening and the weekends, I worked on Clever Carbon. That's how it started. And And now it's full time, is it? Um, is there a category that goes beyond full time? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's Love entrepreneurs. It. That's essentially yes. that's yeah. full, full life. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the category. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And and what's the goal of Clever Carbon? So high level goal is to work myself out of a job, but I think that education is really the most impactful and scalable climate solution. So before I answer your question on the goal, uh, you know, there's so many solutions that focus on what can we do in 2030? What would happen if we had this technology? But today we're in 2023, it's November Mm -hmm. 2nd, and we need to do things today in order to help us get there. And I just feel like if more people were educated in their daily actions, if people were educated in carbon footprint, we could actually come up with better solutions. Imagine a world where our politicians, our policymakers, our CEOs were carbon literate, right? We would be so different. Like net zero wouldn't even be a thing. We would be Mm -hmm. taking much more drastic action. But today we're not there yet. There's a lack of education. And I think, you know, a lot of the information seems technical, but at the end of the day, it's a number. And so the goal at Clever Carbon is to make carbon footprint, like how we think about the Richter scale, like how we Mm -hmm. think about calories. People have a baseline. They know the scale. They know, you know, 500 calories versus a thousand. And as a result, they'll use that information to make more informed decisions and build better solutions. So Michelle, I think we've heard a lot that, yeah, if you're, if you're not measuring something, you can't improve it, right? We know this from our backgrounds, we know it in our, in our day-to-day life. And so I'm kind of curious now that you've kind of gotten some of the tools out there, You've helped some people kind of understand and measure what their carbon footprint is. 
do you have some stories around you know folks that you've seen kind of take that and put it into action and 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 make some changes? Yeah. So at Clever Carbon, we like to say what gets measured gets changed, which is what exactly you were tackling. At. And I actually had a happy hour yesterday that I organized, and it was with a uh, a group of women from Toronto. And one of them I had actually met back in San Francisco during SF Climate Week in April of this year. And during that time, she remembered that I had brought the coffee menu with me. So the coffee menu is exactly what you think it is. It's a menu, but instead of having the price and the calories, mm. it has a carbon footprint of items. Mm-hmm. And on the menu, it's you know drip coffee, 50 grams of CO2 emissions, cappuccino, 230 latte 350 (laughs) paper cup lid and sleeve which normally is not on a coffee menu but because she saw that she actually told me yesterday that she started using a reusable coffee cup right i love it there's like that very tactical feedback but really i don't expect this to be a like oh yeah i'm you know i'm going vegan tomorrow i'm like walking to work i'm gonna you know no, use zero energy in my house. Like that's not really the goal. The goal with Clever Carbon is to plant a seed and to show people that learning about the environmental impact does not have to be dire, does not have to be depressing. It does not have to be good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just this information and this education. And thinking back in my own journey, it started officially in 2017 where I read Sapiens. I listened to the third season of Serial. Uh, I watched Okja. I watched What the Health. And those four things led me to then become vegan vegetarian. So it's like not just this one thing. It's a journey. And so, you know, just keeping in mind that what we're doing is we're planting seeds at scale that will then hopefully grow into more significant action. The numbers thing is super interesting because so last night I was chatting to my kids over dinner and I was saying, you know, I had this coming up today and I was talking about your background and like what your your company does. And and I made some comment about, um, you know, the hot shower that you because I think I saw a a talk that you'd done and, and you were talking about the different things that have carbon emissions. And I said in the shower that you you're going to take now and, the, and my kids are like, what? Like. What do you mean that has carbon? How how does that? And I was like, well, you know, we actually have a furnace that is natural gas um, fueled. You know, we're lucky in in BC where a lot of our electricity is hydro, but we have a gas furnace. Um, and I was like, yeah, so you've got the gas that goes in and the energy that it's using and the lights are on while you're doing it. And it it hadn't even occurred to them that, you know, cars are obvious. They can they understand it's burning the the fossil fuel and they can smell the exhaust fumes and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right. It's like bringing in an understanding of every action that we take actually yep. has some mm-hmm. kind of carbon emission. And I love the just information approach. I think a lot of the climate change channels that we see out there, the information comes across with a lot of judgment. And mm-hmm. for a lot of folks, that's, that's really hard to hear. And when it's just information, it's a lot easier to, oh, okay, great. That's that's something I can kind of file away. And and yeah, I love how you say planting seeds, right? It's mm-hmm. it's gonna take a while, but 
if we get a lot of people doing small actions, it adds up to big results. So totally, totally love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I was uh, another anecdote is like we were talking about we've cut down on the amount of beef that we eat in recent months. And I was talking to them about, you know, it's its impact in terms of the the grass, the pasture that we have to create because of the number of cows and all of the different kind of things that go into beef having an impact. But then again, I was watching a talk of yours and you were comparing the carbon footprint of chicken and beef. And I was like, oh, that's going to be so much easier for me to explain to them than these kind of other concepts that they're like, I don't really understand the cutting down of trees and the creating of the pasture and all of those kind mm -hmm. of things. So yeah, it's, it's a great tool. Thank you. I wanted to double click on the shower piece because, you know, people don't talk about water footprint a lot. And I think at Clever Carbon, we also have this ethos of like climate action can be fun and this content can be fun. And so I think it was last year, the year before that, we hosted a corporate shower challenge at Clever mm -hmm. Carbon. So we recruited like six to seven companies and we had employees share their average shower time. We took an average and found the company with the shortest average shower time. And like that activity in and of itself was so educational. Like mm. I didn't know you could take a shower in 30 seconds, right? <laughs> My kids <laughs> don't know that. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. It might've been an easy shower, but still like it is possible. And then someone who, you know, takes like 10, 15 minute showers, then goes, oh, wow, the average is two minutes. Like maybe I have been, you know, showering a little bit longer. And not only does it impact our water footprint, but it can also impact the energy footprint as well because we need less hot water. And it can be fun. It can be competitive and it can be this experience that is shared in a good sort of team bonding. So I think that's really important to what we try to get out there as well is like, let's make this fun. So speaking of fun and competition, Joe and I were attending the Fully Charged TV show in Vancouver. Uh, when was that, Joe? It was back in August or something. Yeah. And we were talking about this episode because we were putting it together. And we're like, okay, well, let's, let's, do, the, let's do the footprint test. And uh, so uh, we did. And now I was, I was actually kind of surprised because Joe lives uh, in North Van. Mm -hmm. And I live out in Anmore. And my house is um, grossly big. It's, it's ridiculous. And so I just assumed wow, like I am, I'm absolutely going to have the bigger footprint here. And so it turns out, it turns out mine was 13.7. I know Joe's shaking your head. Uh, and, and Joe, I guess the winner, I don't know, because not, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, uh, 14, 14.3 for Joe. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is both of them are lower than the Canadian average, oh, which is 16.1. Yeah. So uh, yeah. both better, but yes, Carl has been, I think this is the part of the podcast he's been most excited about because he's, <laughs> he gets to. Well, it's say mostly how that Joe is. is so competitive and she doesn't like to lose at <laughs> things. True. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fun to you know. Uh, but but I was I was actually surprised. So a couple of things out of this uh, actually is, is so my engineer brain uh, kind of looks and goes, well, how accurate is this? Mm -hmm. Like because you didn't take in all of these detailed inputs that would give you like a super accurate number. And, and so I, I thought about that a little bit and I'm like, okay, wait, 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 Carl, does it actually matter? Like how, how accurate does it really need to be to provide good information? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I think there is, you know, there are certainly folks, um, who are come at it a little bit more, you know, math engineering or like, well, I can't be accurate. So they like, like to throw it away. 
But the whole point is like, wait a minute, it's still like, you know, it's 14 tons mm -hmm. of, of CO2 and it helps to provide kind of context and just understanding. So even, even if it were, you know, 50% off or more, it, it really doesn't matter because it's orders of magnitude off of where it needs to be is the, is the real thing, right? I'm glad you brought this up because is the, is our carbon footprint calculator a science? No, no, yeah. it's really not, right? We take data from the Global Carbon Atlas. They have a database of individual consumption, you know, average individual consumption for the year. And we take that as a baseline. And that already is a game changer. And a lot of carbon footprint calculators that followed Clever Carbon also do this now. But, you know, the calculators I used when I was first getting to learn about this doesn't matter if you lived in the UK or if you lived in Vietnam, you would get the same answer. But the average carbon footprint of someone in Vietnam is 2.1 annually, 2.1 tons. In the UK, it's about 8.3. Wow. Right? So the most important thing is really, where do you live, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there is that element of the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of what you do is going to give you 80% of the output. And those big levers are your commute, your diet, how much you fly, and your home energy. Like yeah. that alone is going to give you 80% of the output. And right, we're planting seeds for people who are new, who are not going to want to sit at their computer and tell me, how old is your hair dryer? How efficient is it? Mm -hmm. Do you blow dry your hair in the morning, in the afternoon, or, or in the evening? How many times did you blow dry your hair out of the out of you know Vancouver? what country like no like because mm. then you have to repeat that for your washing machine your mm. tv like and no like there's no there, it's not a good way to spend our time to get down to the nitty-gritty um you what you mentioned about your home like it being larger like absolutely that's going to impact your carbon footprint and because you need more energy for heating and cooling um that's going to have a large impact but you know for people who just want to Maybe they don't even want to learn, but they just came to the site and, you know, we'll complete it because it's easy. That's what we're doing. We're planting seeds and knowing the average in your country, like the average in your country is accurate mm. and kind of seeing how you might compare is helpful. So it's kind of wild that the Canadian average is twice the UK average. You yeah, know, that that surprised me in itself because so much of our energy in, in Canada is actually renewable. So I guess it's not coming from that. Um, we live further else. apart and bigger vehicles. Is uh, yeah, I guess so. A, a piece of it for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. Di yeah. my carbon footprint is a lot better these days, I know, because now I work from home all the mm -hmm. time. And yeah. so whereas I used to used to commute, but the the biggest impact for mine was air travel, because obviously I have family in Europe. And so I go back to Europe at least once every couple of years, plus, you know, a couple of flights within North America. And all of a sudden, that was the one area that it kind of highlighted that you can you can do better. I will say that when it comes to flying, commercial flying makes up around two and a half percent of global emissions. Food and agriculture collectively make up about 25 percent. Right. So. Mm. When it comes to the levers that we can pull, yeah, absolutely, we can pull that lever around flying. But collectively, if everyone did a little better on the diet side, it could really scale because 25% on a global scale is a lot. Like steel manufacturing is 6%, like cement is 7%, food and agriculture is 25%. And that is really high. Currently, 
our global average is around 6.3 tons. So Mm. European countries in general, like France, Italy, Spain, UK, they're all between five and 10. So individuals are between five and 10 tons. For Canada, Australia, the US, uh, even countries like Hong Kong, the average is somewhere between 15 and 17. Mm. We get to like Singapore, Singapore is around 20. Uh, There's countries where it's like around 35 to 40, but that's about the the top of the average. And then most African countries are actually 1.0 or below. Yeah, Yeah. which makes sense. Public education around this is really one of the key drivers. And so carbon footprint, super important. I was having a conversation with my neighbor. Uh, We were, funny enough, we were sitting around a a nice open fire, having an evening beverage and talking about, hey, yeah, you know, climate change and I'm going to do this podcast and everything. And my neighbor admitted a little sheepishly, they said that, okay, so wait a minute, carbon dioxide, I, I, I'm i a little, I, what is that exactly? And, and so how do, you, how do you explain when you talk about carbon footprint and CO2, like what is CO2? Why do we hear so much about it? Uh, there's other gases. How do, how do you talk with, with people about that? Because a lot of us have forgotten our high school chemistry, like it's way in our past, right? I think that the focus is not to just hone in on the CO2 portion, but to bring it back to people's daily lives and put it in a context that they can understand. So let me give you my like two, like one minute elevator pitch of like greenhouse gas emissions and why it's important. So think about your morning, right? Uh, Maybe you made a cup of coffee, your iPhone woke you up, you turn on the lights, use an electric toothbrush, right? Um, All of those things require energy. And most things in our lives, most activities that we do require energy. And today, most of our energy comes from fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are natural. They exist on our planet. But when we burn fossil fuels for energy, we produce greenhouse gases. And today, we have accumulated so many greenhouse gases or so much greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, it is trapping heat. And I like to use the analogy of a crochet blanket, right? If you think of the greenhouse gases, whether it's carbon dioxide, methane, or nitrous oxide, as a crochet blanket, you know that crochet blanket that's really light, wispy, you can like stick a candle through it. But then you also know that crochet blanket that's super chunky, like the yarn is so thick and you can barely get your finger through, you know, one of the crevices there. So back in the day, you know, before the 1900s, our atmosphere and the greenhouse gases in there were, were like that wispy crochet, you know, there, there was a lot of holes in it. But today we've accumulated so much greenhouse gases, 70% of which is carbon dioxide, you know, methane and nitrous oxide or other really common ones. It's so chunky that nothing can get through. And as a result, heat is trapped. So to answer your question again, it's not so much about like, what is CO2? What is that? But it's more about the bigger picture and our use of energy. And what is carbon footprint? I like to use a phone. Okay. Let's say you're charging your phone for 10 minutes. You're using energy there's fossil fuels, we're burning it. As a result, there's greenhouse gases. Now, if you charge your phone for 15 minutes, there's a higher carbon footprint because you're using more energy. Now, if you charge your phone in Victoria versus in Seattle, there's also a different carbon footprint, even if you're charging it for 10 minutes because the energy mix in each of those cities are different. So instead of focusing on that very sciencey part of like CO2, global warming potential. We just like to teach people when you use energy, you're going to produce greenhouse gases and the more energy use, the more greenhouse gases and CO2 you're going to put into the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. 
Love it. You know, it's just such a good reminder that it's really about trying to put things in terms that people can just relate to. It's, you know, a lot of us, it's like, oh, no, okay, great. I'm going to try to explain carbon dioxide to you. But it's like, no, no, no you know what? Sometimes you just kind of need to take uh, a bit of an end run around it and uh, and come at a different angle. So I love that. I'm going to use the crochet blanket one. I absolutely yeah. love that one. Yeah. And they are incredibly warm. Sorry. I was just going to <laughs> yes. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Thing, they've got yeah. holes in, so you think they're not going to be warm. And actually you're like, this is ridiculous how warm it is. So it's a great analogy. So what is good though, from a carbon footprint? Because we talk about needing by 2050, the UN has said we need to get to net zero. So we're only putting in uh, as much uh, greenhouse gas emissions as the planet can kind of absorb, as the trees can absorb, as our systems can absorb. So we can have a little bit of emissions, but it's got to net out to effectively zero. So what do you know, like what that translates to in, in terms of a kind of a good carbon footprint for the average dweller on planet Earth? Okay. So I'm going to answer this question in two parts, right? Yeah. The, your actual question is what is a good carbon footprint? I want to first address net zero, okay? So in 2022, the average CO2 concentration was 418 parts per million, okay? It's not a stat that we talk about a lot, but again, it's number. We understand numbers. That was the concentration of CO2 in 2022. In 1900, it was 296 parts per million. Yeah. And for 800,000 years, we've always been below 300. Now, the experts say that if we surpass 450 parts per million, we will surpass the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. Right. We're pretty close. We're 418, right? And we need to be at or below 350 parts per million in order to have a thriving planet. So we need to go back to that wispy crochet blanket. But let me ask you this question, Carl and Joanne. You know, if in 2022, we were at 418 parts per million, where do you think we'll be by 2030. And this is a completely wild guess. You can make some assumptions, but like, you know, within the span of a minute, you know, having discussed this, what do you think, where do you think we'll be by 2030? Oh man, that's really tough because we're climbing. I know that. Mm -hmm. the, the, and it it's kind of like, you can kind of maybe see it's turning around, but <laughs> there's a bunch of things up in the air, whether we'll be able to actually make progress. So I'm going to say it's it's actually going to still go up a little bit by by 2030. Okay. Uh, I would say, you know, maybe even 430. Let's okay. say 430. That's my guess. Wow. I, I, I feel put on the spot here. I'm, uh, like, <laughs> I'm making a prediction that just out of the air. The interesting thing is that Carl is usually the optimist of the two of us. Um, <laughs> and so I'm interested to hear that, like, you're where you went was higher than I, I was, I was going to kind of say, we'll stay about the same because I know that we're climbing and I know that like our energy use is going up. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that we'll be more renewable energy coming online and whatever. So I, mm -hmm. I don't think we will have gone down, but I think we'll be about the same. Okay. So you say 418 around that. Yeah. 2030. So we're nowhere near 350, which is where mm -hmm. we need to be. Yeah. yeah. Which is why we need to remove carbon, right? We need to go back to that wispy crochet. We need to unravel the yarn, you know, so to speak. And so from a carbon footprint standpoint, whether it's the infrastructure that we have, you know, we can have renewable energy, uh, we can eat more plant-based, we can have more fuel efficient or carbon efficient jet fuels. But 
In order for us to actually get to a safe place, we need to remove carbon at scale. We have a very short window of time to do it. And when people think, oh, remove carbon, yes, let's grow more trees, Let, you know, your brain immediately goes green. But our land makes up 30% of our planet. We are actually an ocean's planet. If there was a Martian flying by our planet, it would think that everything lived in the ocean. Someone really famous, actually, Christina Mittermeier, who uh, sometimes lives in Vancouver, was she was actually the one who like, whoa, made me really understand that. And our oceans actually naturally store and sequester carbon, especially when they're productive, but our oceans are highly unproductive today. So I want to bring this up because when people talk about net zero, what does that mean? Where will that get us? Sure, we'll still be at maybe 430 parts per million, maybe 418, nowhere near 350. And actually, the experts say that we need to be below 300 and some even say 280 parts per million. So from a consumer and individual standpoint, we have levers that we can pull to maybe help get to net zero, but we need to go further beyond that. And it's going to be the biggest industry that you've ever seen, that we've ever produced. It's the biggest change management that we've ever done before to remove this level of carbon. And this year at South by Southwest, I chaired a panel on ocean carbon removal and climate repair. And Marty Odlin from Running Tide said, you know, if you don't look at your window and see trucks moving carbon, if you don't see trains moving Mm -hmm. carbon, if you don't see oceans moving carbon, we're not doing anything significant. And in fact, we spend more on lawnmowers than we do on this problem of climate change and needing to remove carbon. So just a little food for thought here, like we need to be doing a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, though, that just highlights how much of an opportunity it is, for one thing, because it is. Yeah, it's the biggest change management thing we've ever tried to tackle. But look at the opportunity there. I mean, we can have a greener, healthier more politically stable planet. Like that's a huge opportunity. And the fact that we're only investing as much as, as we are in lawnmowers right now just says, well, wow, like we, we can do more. That's the thing for everybody who despairs and everything. It's like, no, 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 we've, we've got lots of more dry powder. We just have to get out there and engage it and, and, uh, we, we can do it. But anyway, sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, cause I agree we need to do more. And then I think about, you know, when I hear that as a, as an individual, when I hear, we need to be doing more. I'm like, but, but what, like, what should I in my life with my family and doing the things that I'm doing, what can I be doing? You know, what's my responsibility and how is that different from what can I do as an individual that is actually going to have a multiplying effect versus just like, I don't get me wrong. I think it's really important that individuals think about their homes and how they can be more green and they think about their diet and all the things that we've talked about. But how do we go and have that multiplying effect Mm -hmm. that we need because of the volume of carbon dioxide? We not only need to stop emitting, we also need to remove. Well, everyone should start their own podcast, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, check. I'm done. (laughs) Right? Um, But I don't have the answer to that question. But I do think that by providing an easy and fun entryway to getting more people to learn is a great way to start. And we're already seeing changes. Back in 2020, when I started Clever Carbon, no one talked about climate change. It was still very new. So we are making progress, but people don't know facts like 
you know, 418 parts per million, 350 parts per million. And we do that at Clever Carbon. We teach people those things. So, um, you know, if you ever think of an idea, just send me an email. But in the meantime, <laughs> we, we continue doing as much as we can. Yeah. They did a climate fellowship with Terra.do last year. And the context of the numbers is the thing that I have grappled with the most. It's like uh, trying to understand the volume. I, th I think it's around 40 gigatons annually is global emissions. Like gigatons is not a number that like that's not a, <laughs> yeah. a unit of measurement that I can imagine. Right. I find the challenge that we have when some of the initiatives that you hear, some of the direct air capture and thing, they're talking about being able to sequester a million tons over a long period of time. And then you're like, but there's 40 gigatons in a year. So I think the more that we can help people understand those volumes, the better it gets for sure. But I did want to change tack a little. I read an article in The Guardian by Rebecca Solnit that was highlighting the fact that it was actually British Petroleum, which is a UK-based oil giant, um, coined the term carbon footprint as part of their PR efforts to kind of promote climate change being an individual responsibility. And then I also heard Clover Hogan, who's a climate activist, talking on a podcast about the fact that she despairs when interviewers are asking her what people can do in their homes because she feels it delays action and kind of gives us this false sense of positivity sort of thing when we're not actually making the, the big systemic change. So I, I know you're aware of the origins of the term carbon footprint. So I just wanted to get your perspective on this idea that it, it's actually designed to distract us rather than help us. So I do get asked this question a lot, and we need to decouple the marketing and the intent around spreading the knowledge with what the knowledge is. Mm -hmm. Carbon footprint is science. It doesn't matter who invented it. Carbon footprint is the measure of the amount of carbon dioxide that was produced when we burn fossil fuels. That's it, right? It is a fact. It is science. Now, because BP chose to man, you know, market it in a way where it put the onus on individuals, I mean, I, I have conflicting thoughts about this because I do feel like as individuals, there's definitely things that we can do. And we live in a capitalistic society and we have so much more power than we realize. And individual action, I think, is absolutely important in getting us to the other side of 350 parts per million or 450, however you like to look at it. But it's just the fact that BP was the one that made this popular just throws a wrench into it. You know, mm -hmm. if someone discovered carbon footprint and, you know, decide to market it, like if Patagonia did, we would all be like, yeah, let's go. Like, love it. Individual action. Let's do it. Right. But because BP was the one now it's like, oh, you know, this oil and gas giant is trying to make us take responsibility. But at the same time, oil and gas companies exist because we want oil and gas, right? Like, is anyone willing to turn off their lights, turn off their heat at home? I'm pretty sure no one is. And we're all using oil and gas. And even if you have a solar panel on your house, guess what type of energy manufactured your solar panel, right? Mm -hmm. It's Well, and 
and delivers your food and delivers all of the infrastructure that enables the entire economy and system that allows you to survive today. We, we can't turn it off tomorrow, ultimately. And they yeah. exist because there was demand. It's yeah. supply and demand. So I think it's really unfair to just be like, you know, turn off the pipes. Like, we cannot have a green energy transition without fossil fuels for the manufacturing. Like, there, there is no interim solution at this time, this point in time right now. I'm trying to get at the root of, you know, for Joe, like, what, what is it about? Because I, I can tell it's like there's a distaste, there's a discomfort, there's a, you just really... Well, it's, it's a feeling that I, I'm being duped, right? And I think I struggle a lot with this when I think about positive actions for climate change. I, I don't want to feel good for doing the things that I'm doing and then realize that they're not actually having any kind of impact. So for me, it feels like I'm being tricked a little bit. You Like when I hear that the origin was BP, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, what are their motives? Because their motive for doing it was to essentially, you know, distract, was to distract. And so it, it's that feeling, yeah, it's that feeling of being duped. And I don't, I don't like it. But at the same you're right, Michelle, that if if it was Patagonia that invented it, I would assume it was for altruistic reasons and for the good of the planet and and whatever. So it's the source. I guess it is. It's that whole idea of like, where's the source of the data? Where's the source of the thing? And because the source is an oil giant who is one of the the biggest contributors to um, the problems that we're having today, it, it makes me pause. That's why. Well, I just feel like the BP folks didn't do a great job. That's like the only thing that I'm sad about. Like, had they done a fantastic job with making the individual think more about their actions, maybe that would have been good because the, the campaign was done like a long time ago. Mm, it's not yeah. really recent. It was, it was early 2000s, I think. Yeah. So BP, you know, like. <laughs> do better. Do better <laughs> on your marketing campaign for individual carbon footprint. Like, come on. I was looking at something else that you were talking about um, recently. And when you were talking about one of the strategies of Clever Carbon being to get individuals to use their voices, right? And I think that's where I keep coming back to. I'm like, these individual actions are good. And it's great. For example, if my kids see me doing it, that means that I've got a 10 and a seven-year-old who are already thinking about it, like, whereas I was not at their age. So, With using your voice, I see the changes that we've made in terms of, you know, you've got fast food restaurants who show you what the calories are for the happy meal or for whatever that you're you're getting. Um, And that's only happened because of consumer demand, right? That Mm -hmm. is happening because people are saying they want to live healthier lives. They want more information. And so we're getting that kind of information now because we've been demanding for it. So I guess... If we have a world of people who understand what carbon footprint is and the impact of the things that they can change, like your coffee menu example, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll have drip coffee instead of a cow milk latte, or maybe I'll choose an oat milk. Or bring a cup. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That then gets to beyond the individual action to me. It's like it's starting to become that movement, which I think is then the multiplier instead of just being additive. But it is a it's a reinforcing circle, right? I mean, the more we educate people, the more people will ask for it. And then the more businesses will understand that that's a demand, right? So it, it is a virtuous cycle. Yeah. 
And so what do you think about in terms of the the role of the individual versus the role of government or industry in addressing climate change? It's all of the above. You know, we don't have much time. We need change. We need rapid change. And we need it from the top and we need it from the bottom. And I think for those similar to me and, and, you know, in our women in climate, I find a lot of kindred spirits. Like, I enjoy taking action. I enjoy composting. I enjoy finding a new, uh, you know, vegan recipe that, you know, I used to, when I was working at DocuSign, I would bake vegan carrot cake and it was so good. I am giving myself a pat on the back. And I really can, can we get a recipe? It. Yeah. Yeah. I can send it to you. And then everyone would be like, oh my God, this is so good. What? It's vegan? No way. And that's like, you know, for me, it's, it's just simple things like that or thrifting, you know, um, there, Patagonia has a secondhand shop that you can buy directly from their own website, right? So I personally enjoy finding ways to reduce my impact and learn from others. But yeah, you know, I, I think that it has to come from both sides. And there is a lot that we can do individually from the home energy, from commute, from diet. And the more we do, the more we talk, the more we share, the more we learn, the more we can get done. But I understand this is my truth and it doesn't have to be someone else's truth. Not everyone has to enjoy composting like I do. But, you know, personally, that's that's what brings me joy and helps me stay positive and optimistic. So I don't know about you, Joe, but I really enjoyed our conversation with Michelle. I, I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, I didn't agree with everything that Michelle had to say, but I really, I learned a lot and uh, I love uh, what she's doing, getting out there, educating. Uh, I did feel a little bit, and I think I said it during our conversation, I felt a little put on the spot, but it was fun. Uh, the prediction around where uh, we thought uh, uh, carbon emissions were going uh, over mm-hmm. the next little while. Yep. Um, and I think I said, what did I say? 4.30 is... Yeah, so she said we're at 4.18 yes. right now. And yeah. she asked us to predict where we'd be in 2030, I think. Yeah, right. And, and I kind of said, well, you know, we're increasing everything. I said 4.30 and then you said, yeah, but Carl, you're an optimist. Mm-hmm. And I, so I am an optimist, uh, but uh, I, I'm an optimist that even... If uh, our emissions increase a little bit, and I I think they will, I'm optimistic about our ability to respond and adapt to that. I'm long-term optimistic about our ability to ultimately mitigate that and bring emissions down. But I do think that in the short term, uh, yeah, I I mean, the trend, it's hard to argue with the trend. I mean, we look at where the numbers are going and uh, how do you, you know, I, I don't see that all of a sudden next year things are going to just take a sharp nosedive. So it just makes me think that, oh, yeah, it'll probably just increase a little bit. But every time I turn around again, there's something that tells me it's ultimately going to come down. We are making that transition and we're finding new ways to adapt and respond. So so I am still an optimist, um, but uh, I also try to be a little bit realistic about it. So so that's where I landed on that one. And there's, well, there's a couple of things coming up as well. There's COP28 coming up mm-hmm. later this month where I yeah. think it's it's. I believe it's the first time they're going to be properly reviewing our the Paris commitments um, and where we are on the road to those. And in Canada, um, Trudeau promised that by the end of the year, we'd have an emissions cap in place. So there mm-hmm. are some <laughs> some things to watch to see whether you're 
optimistic realism is the, is yeah, the right indeed, approach. Indeed, our, our federal liberals are having quite the battle right now, so mm-hmm. uh, we'll see where that lands. Mm-hmm. I Going into the conversation, uh, Joe, you had some pretty strong feelings about carbon footprints and mm-hmm. and where that came from. And I really enjoyed kind of the, the back and forth that we had uh, in the conversation with Michelle. And I was really curious to hear from you. Like where, have you, have you moved a little bit on it? Did you learn something from our conversation? Do you, how do you feel about it now? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think as soon as I hear anything's from big oil, I am immediately like the heckles go up a little bit. And, um, and so that's kind of really where I had started with this, with the not loving the idea. Um, I think where I've landed right now, like Michelle had a point, it's, it doesn't really matter where the term came from. The science is the science. I mean, she is right. Everything that we do has a carbon footprint of some kind. And so does it matter that that term was coined by BP when all she's trying to do is educate people that they have one and that they can influence it through their actions? I think that's where I've landed up. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I think it actually helping people understand what their carbon footprint is and how they can influence it is way more important than where the term came from. Awesome. Wow. So conversa- the power of conversation yeah. at work right there. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. The one thing that we didn't get into with Michelle that I know that she does a lot of uh, with Clever Carbon is uh, carbon labeling. So on her website, she has a guide for companies that are interested in introducing carbon labeling. And I probably should back up and like carbon labeling is the idea of having information on products um, that tells you what the carbon footprint of the product is. So similar to how we have the nutrition panel on everything that we buy um, to consume for food, um, the idea that we would put something like that on all of the products that are produced so we would have an understanding of what the carbon footprint of that product was. Um, And so there are a number of brands who are already doing it. Um, You've got people like Oatly who are an oat milk brand and Allbirds um, who I would be like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's part of their, who they are, their branding. I was surprised Logitech is actually a company that has uh, carbon footprinting. I haven't checked to see if it's on all of their products, but they are listed as a company that does. So yeah, that surprises I, me too. I, I wouldn't have thought yeah. of Logitech as a, a you know environmental leader. No, guess I was um, wrong. And so, like, I love this idea of carbon labeling because I think it gets to helping people make decisions about what they're going to buy based yeah. on the carbon footprint of the product. And there are a number of apparently the U.S. alone has three different carbon labeling systems. But there isn't actually a an official one yet. Yeah. Um, although the um, the IRA, which is the Inflation Reduction Inflation Act. Reduction Act, thank you for <laughs> your help. Um, in the US, actually, has assigned funding for like I don't know whether they're looking at it or whatever, but they they do mention carbon labeling. So right. yeah, I'm I'm a little sad that we didn't get more into that because I think there's real potential um, there. Well, I think that could be a whole episode down the road on its own. So yeah, yeah. despair not. Maybe it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you did, please like or rate the episode, subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends or follow us on Instagram. That really helps us out. 
If you're curious about your own carbon footprint, open up your browser. Head over to clevercarbon.io and scroll down. It takes just two minutes. Thanks for joining Joe and myself here on Decarbonated and be sure to join us next episode for more great conversation on climate change.